Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from the Times. I'm Gabriel Marcotti and I thank you for joining us. Yes, I am back from my holiday since you ask. Uh, and as I tag in, Natalie Sawyer tags out. It's her turn to vacation. Don't worry, if you enjoyed hearing both of us at the same time, you will have the opportunity to do so again shortly. It's just that it's August, it's sunny, I know football's back, but hey, we're all entitled to a day off. Uh, now joining me in the studio today is... Times transfer guru and many other things. A bit of a mathematician too, I believe, Mr. Gary Jacob. Good morning, Gaps. How are you? Very well. I was right about the maths, right? You were right. It was a very long time ago. I was going to say, Lord Treesman also has a mathematics degree. Former head of the FA. I didn't realize that. There you go. This gives you something to talk about next time you guys hang out. And down the line, we've got the Times man on the Manchester beat, Paul Hurst. Morning. My mathematics is terrible. I, I, I just don't do maths at all. Good, because you can turn to Ed Woodward for advice whenever you need to. Uh, later on, we'll be joined by Martin Ziegler to uh, discuss some governance and VAR issues. Us nerds love those. But we have to start with the latest installment in the Manchester United soap opera. Gary, let's start with you. United go down 3-1. Now, there's lots to talk about, especially, I think, in the fallout of this. But the first obvious thing is... Eric Bai and Lindelof, and really the defense as a whole, I don't think Ashley Young covered himself in glory either. They all get slaughtered. If you were unkind and had an agenda against Mourinho, which I'm sure you don't, you would point out, what's he complaining about? He bought these guys for a lot of money. He's the guy who keeps playing Ashley Young uh, on the opposite flank as well. So what's up? You summed it up pretty well there, I think. He bought them, and they're, they're poorly... Uh they're poorly trained from from what I've seen of them, and this summer he's, he 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 sort of wanted another centre back. Kirsty obviously knows a lot more than this, but if you go back to when he first came here at Chelsea and he bought Carvalho and then he had other players, the first thing he he actually did was to kind of get the spine right and then build from the back, and they were very defensively strong. He hasn't really done that at United, and, and you look at that third season, you wouldn't say they're any stronger at the back than they were before. So. All the fingers pointed at him. Uh, Hursty, he does have other centre backs, but um, I'm assuming Phil Jones is injured again. He just doesn't like Smalling. Rocco, who knows? Am, am I right? I mean, can you give us an update on those guys? I think that Smalling, you know, is, is kind of third choice now. I'm not Phil Jones. You're kind of never sure whether he's 100 percent fit or you know close to, to breaking down again. Rocco, 
Mourinho said that he had a, an injury during the World Cup, which we all thought was a bit kind of a, a suspect statement to make, really. We thought he was just keeping him out of the squad so he could sell him, um, but he's not featured since. Um, so he started buying Lindelof uh, for the first two games. And it's interesting because before this season, those two hadn't started a game together. They'd only played two minutes together in the league as a central defensive partnership, those two. So now they have all, all of a sudden become the first-choice partnership. And I've never really been struck of Lindelof. I just thought he's, you know, he, he's supposed to be the, the ball-playing centre-half. And some of his passing is quite kind of erratic, really. And with Bailly, you know, he, he just lacks the kind of composure, the leadership, the authority. Um, and that kind of spreads throughout the back four, throughout the throughout the defence and maybe to De Gea as well. So they're always kind of worried about him uh, making a mistake. He, he doesn't seem, he needs another kind of strong authoritative figure next to him and that's that's why you know Mourinho thought that Toby Alderweireld would have been a good partner for him. Pogba post-match comes out and uh, and says that they uh, they had the wrong attitude uh, for this game and he said you know in- including myself um, you know we, we we need to do better and uh, and Brighton were were hungrier. Um, now for me maybe because I'm biased because I like Pogba I said you know what actually I thought you were. Um, um, you know, I, I thought you did your job. You tried to make things happen. You know, he also had he had a number of occasions. He had a, forced a really good save out of Matt Ryan at one point. But you know, you're also in some ways also shielding your manager, right? They supposedly don't don't like each other, but he's saying this one's on us. This one's on the, on, on the players. Now, Paul Scholes, who uh, obviously knows more about this uh, uh, than I do, says I hear these quotes here from our colleague Duncan Castles. Quote, I hope that is lost in translation. There is no defense for that comment. You always tell yourself, attitude right, make sure it's right. So basically, he's kind of skewering Pogba for saying that their attitude was wrong. Gary, help me. We can't have it both ways. We can't have players owning their turgid performances. And at the same time, and I realize in schools it's different because he never spoke. So obviously, he never had to take responsibility for anything. Personally, I'm fully in favor of players coming out and just saying it as is. Because how many times have Hursty and I and you sat there and our players come out and given us some bland quote which we all go away going yeah right so I'm, I'm fully in favour but I can understand sometimes the things you don't want to say public now there was a similar case a few years ago with Walcott when Arsenal lost at, uh, when Walcott was captain and Arsenal lost quite heavily away at Crystal Palace and he came out and he said uh, uh, we, we knew we were going to lose before the game and our attitude was wrong and Wenger pretty much sidelined him immediately for that and he hardly played again and that was Basically, Wenger didn't like the idea that he went public and said the word effectively, our attitude isn't good enough And before we, before we even went out. But I think in this case, so, so what? He's honest. So what? what, 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 what why is Skull, Skull's taking offence at it? I don't, I don't get that. He's been honest. He said our attitude is right. What else is he going to say? Oh, we'll, we'll see what we'll get next time. We'll win three points next Saturday. We'll, we'll do better next game. Then it's just words. At least he's been honest in saying... Yeah, but also he's probably there's an underhand message here, isn't there, about something else going on in behind the scenes, and it's a bit of a dig. And Hursty would know more. Hursty, is it a dig or is he actually saying it's the player's fault? Leave the manager out of this. I think he's just telling it like it is, isn't he? My attitude wasn't great. He's just being honest. Our attitude wasn't great, you know. And the best thing a football team can do in it, and whenever they lose, is look at themselves and. You know, be honest, and you can't sugarcoat this. You know, they lost at Brighton, and they never looked like they were going to win at Brighton. So, you know, they've got to admit their faults. That's kind of the first 
first step to trying to trying to improve. Really, you know, I must admit, if I'm a, if I was a Man United fan, reading that comment, I'd just be thinking, why? You know, what? Why? Why are you going into a game against Brighton away with the wrong attitude? Why, especially after last season, uh, when United they dropped, they lost uh, Huddersfield away, Newcastle away, and Brighton away. You know, why is your attitude not right for these games? That's what. That's where they slipped up last season. Um, again, you know, that could be the manager not drilling the right attitude into him, or you know, is it a is it a problem within the squads, within the players themselves? But you know, I, I would be. I would be annoyed if I was a United fan reading that. And it was interesting, I think, juxtaposing it with Mourinho post-match who went to the Mourinho playbook when he... he I, I kind of liked what he said because he, he basically said, look, you know, when we lose and I... And goes going back to last season. I tell you what, and I analyze our players' bad performances. You guys all criticize me saying I'm too hard on them. So now I'm not going to say anything when we lose. Um, I'm kind of paraphrasing here, which, you know... Fair enough. I mean, but, but, but I think the, the thing that we all miss is that when Marino goes out and says something to the media, he's not saying it for our benefit, is he? He's saying it for the benefit of the players. And any manager who says something in a press conference before or after the game is not actually saying it because the media have teased it out of him. They've got something they want to get across to their player. So he's basically saying, if talk, correct me if I'm wrong, I would, if I spoke about, if I analyze this game, I would say all these mean, horrible things about you guys in public, so I'm not going to do that. Yeah? He's, he's probably saying in private. Yeah, which is fine. Um, I want to, uh, Hirsty, I don't want to keep belaboring this point because it's been covered, but just quickly on what happened over the summer, we haven't had you on to get to get your take with the idea that Mourinho somehow dissatisfied with uh, the, the lack of signings and whatnot. Um, is this going to have any kind of long-term effect, the relationship with Woodward, or do you have any particular novel insight on this? I think the, the relationship isn't great between them, is it? You know, I, I, was, I went on the pre-season tour with United, and it was pretty apparent from, from that, that that Mourinho wasn't happy with, with what, what Woodward was doing in the transfer market. He, he said he was confident that Woodward would get him another another signing, another centre half, and he didn't. Um, so you know that was that was really the that was what you know sunk the relationship to a, to a to a new low, if if you would. But you know, just looking at Woodward yesterday, he looked so glum after the final whistle. He was just, I, I really felt sorry for the people sat either side of him because you know it was he seemed to be like just ready to kind of beat someone up or something. It was, he just looked completely enraged and. Yeah, Mourinho. He comes back to what you were saying earlier. You know, he wanted to improve the defense, but he's you know he's bought two centre halves over the last two years. So Woodward sat there thinking, well, you know, I've, I've given you the money to improve this defense, but you're still saying that you can't. You know, that, that it needs investment. I've given you sixty million to buy for, on two new centre halves, and you know, yesterday we saw that they're not good enough. <laughs> yeah, but equally, Mourinho said, "Yeah, you saw what happened." And you see that Jones is always injured, and Rocco's supposedly injured too, and Smalling is what he is, and Lindelof's a kid. So I wear my Mourinho hat, or my Castle's hat, you might call it. I told you, I gave you a list of guys. Sign one of these three dudes at the back. Alder Viral, you could have easily signed if you just cut a big check, for example. Boateng, whatever, you know, this story, the loan, non-loan. Hey, does Woodward ever meet with you guys secretly and say, like, hey, guys, this is my version of events, just so you know? I mean, what, what, no. what, no? He's not really kind of open to to speaking to us, particularly kind of, you know, 
publicly on the record where we bumped into him on, on tour and he seemed in kind of high spirits but that was in the middle of the tour when it looked as if they were they were going to get someone uh, you know that there is a there's a difference of opinion there on so many players you know you look at Luke Shaw you know Woodward would want to keep him Mourinho would have been happy to cut him loose this summer Martial's the biggest one you know, Mourinho would quite happily get rid of him, but Woodward, you know, Woodward's worried that he will be gone. You know, go on to become one of the kind of, you know, biggest stars in Europe. So there's a different opinion on him. Even like players like Matteo Darmian, you know, Mourinho was happy for him to go, but Woodward wanted him to stay. Pogba's the same thing. You know, at stages last season, Mourinho just didn't want him around the place, and then but Woodward would never even consider letting him go. So. There's a big difference of opinion on a lot of players in that squad between those two. Now this season, with your subscription to the Times and the Sunday Times, you can watch every highlight and every single goal from every single game in the Premier League. And guess what? It's just £8 for an eight-week trial. All right, now on Saturday, uh, Chelsea played Arsenal. Um, I was there... I thought the first 25 minutes were, were, were absolutely incredible. Sorry, ball is finest. But then, weirdly, by the end of the first half, Arsenal could have scored four or five. Um, it was just a very odd, very open uh, game. James Gearbrandt uh, writes today about the way Jorginho is being used versus the way Conte is being used. Obviously, we touched upon this before, but Jorginho is basically sitting in the back of the back uh, of, of the back three. Conte and uh, um, and Barkley are either side of him because Sarri presses a lot. You know those guys go forward, and sometimes they can't get back in time to to help Jorginho and uh, Chelsea get gets carved up. Um, is that how you saw it, Gary? It's a, it's a, it's a pretty good um, summary. Um, certainly, he's got the new position with Conte on the right of the of the three in front, and that's been the first thing to say is he's obviously taken away what Conte's great strength is, which is He's probably the best holding player, midfield player in, in the world, or has been. So that's and that defensive stuff that he's taken that away. But I think perhaps people are, are reading a little bit too much into it in, in the sense that they're thinking this is how it's going to be. But I think this is the start of a, an evolution which will change. And probably in time, you will see Kante and Giorgino perhaps a bit more in the centre and the fullbacks pushing on because you wouldn't if you look at Chelsea they look quite unbalanced on Saturday uh, and you could actually argue that they would probably be better with a, a three at the back and go back to all the system they had with Jorginho and Kante in the centre and the two two roving um, wing backs because they just felt a bit unbalanced and Alonso is not really a, a conventional left back Asquita is probably not a conventional right back like that so perhaps they you know that 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 could have so I think in time you will see I could see Conte and Jorginho being a, a bit closer together and the fullbacks being asked to do a lot more running so it will evolve and I think I don't think it's going to stay like this I'm not you, sure about that do you think it's going to stay like this I think he has an idea of, of of football, and I think I mean I could be totally wrong about this, but I would assume that they're sitting there rewatching the videos, and basically, while a lot of people with Saudi focus on what they do on the ball because it's pretty to watch and and movement and whatnot, you know the way they got away with it, or the way he got away with it at Napoli is that the defense the, or, or the back four had very very specifically coordinated movements. And I don't think Aspilicueta and 
and Alonso have necessarily taken them on board uh, as well as they could. Um, I think Alonso too is penalised by the fact, as you say, he's he's not a great defensive uh, midfielder in the open play. And on top of that, he's playing against Bayerine, who, you know, might not be, you know, isn't exactly Cafu, but what he is is miles, miles quicker than uh, <laughs> than Alonso. Um, so I, I think that was a big uh, that was a big part of it. Um, Hersty, all those misses from from Arsenal in the first half. What did you make of that? Is, is are those just is that just statistical variance, or is it like some things not right in their heads? It was pretty bad, wasn't it? <laughs> just, the, the Obama Young one where he completely skied it was, you know, was was you know one of the worst I've seen in recent times. Really, it it kind of if you can't if you're a striker and you can't show a level of composure to at least hit the target from that kind of range, then there is something you know something wrong in their kind of you know mental approach to a game, you know, or mental you know, the ability to kind of stay calm. It's, it really should be a prerequisite for a, for a striker to be able to kind of, you know, keep their cool and put that away because, you know, he scores that goal and it completely changes the the uh, complexion of the game. You know, Emery would have come away from that thinking, yeah, there's the signs of promise that, you know, we actually sort of went toe-to-toe with Chelsea for for a large part of that match. But still, you know, they, they, should, have, they should have scored um, three or four, really. I mean, the thing about Aubameyang so far is that he's looked like he could score against smaller teams but not necessarily against the bigger teams and that's where they're going to need him and that was a problem they almost had with Giroud as well and over the past few years they didn't, they've vast enough struggled in, in the big games and if you look at Aubameyang so far he had the six months which you'd kind of give him new league and everything and now you'd expect him to hit the, hit, hit the ground running but I'd still wonder whether he's going to score enough goals against the big teams and and it's interesting to me because he he could have gone to China a year ago and I do know agents were involved in it and that deal was pretty close but for factors so I sort of I look at him and I think how much has he really got the hunger to want to be in the Premier League and to kind of take Arsenal to that next, ne- that next level and, and what, what's the, the evidence that he wants to be here is the fact that he could have made more money in China presumably there are factors that why he didn't move there, and he's he's earned right. he's earned quite quite well here. Well, speaking of earning, um, throw this forward for me, Gary, because compare and contrast. I thought the difference in the end is between the highest paid player at Arsenal in Arsenal's history, and the guy who should he sign the new contract, which supposedly is agreed around the corner, will be the highest paid player in the history of Chelsea, Eden Hazard. One guy comes on and turns a game; the other guy starts, comes off, and has a completely turgid performance what does Emery do with this guy and, and what will Arsenal look like going forward I think what Emery's shown so far is prepared he's probably prepared to be a lot harder make the tougher decisions so you've seen um Xhaka whipped on Saturday and I think you could you and Ramsey in the first game went off pretty early 50 60 minutes you can see that he's prepared to kind of make the the, the tougher decisions even you dropping know, Ozil well you know Wenger did it uh, so it's not as if it's not happening. Yeah, okay, but, but Wenger was there for 20 years and was the god the, the, of the Emirates. The, but this is the, the thing, Emery. The thing so far is that I'm not quite sure whether Ozil's been in the in, in, in the best position. Um, in the first game against City, he didn't feel like he was in the best position. He was, he was on the right-hand side. I'm not quite sure. But it, but, it, but this was a bit hard to judge Emery and Ozil and the whole team because they're trying to learn a new system. So give it, if you give it 10 games, you say, okay, right. then then that's where we are. 
I think if you're a Chelsea fan, you you wouldn't you would say okay, we've got, got six points, but you wouldn't say everything's rosy and suddenly no. Sarri's the is the kind of uh, you know is going to get us back to where we were two years ago. So they they've got plenty of problems. You know, they've got plenty of issues to kind of thing, but they got away with it on Saturday. I think you know Arsenal are going to need ten games. It'd be interesting to see whether Ramsey keeps his place. You know, at the end of those ten games, it'd be interesting to see what happens because he's always got the contract situation. Whether, whether he finds a part, we should see whether Lacazette ends up on the left hand side of you know whether he ends up alongside Aubameyang, right. uh, and well, also. You know they've got Guendouzi, who obviously looks quite talented, a little bit sloppy, but always wants the ball. Because of the hair. But once Torreira comes in, they might look again a different team because they might look a little right. bit more protected in front of the back four. Paul, you get the final word here. Uh, if Morata has turned the corner and with that goal and starts scoring the way he uh, he we know he can, if they sort out the back four and if Eden Hazard plays the rest of the season and starts and the way he did in, in, in that half hour, can Chelsea contend for the title? I think so, yeah. You look at the fixtures that are coming up as well, Newcastle away, Bournemouth and Cardiff at home, West Ham away. You know, this this is a really kind of it's a good opportunity for them to you know, they should probably they should win all those matches, you know, they should be looking at this six matches in and six wins if their performance in the first two games or anything to, to go by. And Jorginho's look very good for me. I just I just think he's he's very good on the ball, obviously very kind of really kind of calm he's passing his you know, at times it's pretty sensational. I just think it's all kind of coming together quite nicely for Chelsea. It just depends, I think, if, if Morata can keep scoring or not. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20 20, 20 ready to get 20 20, ready to get 15 15 15 15 just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.
Joining us now is Martin Ziegler. I'm especially excited because uh, uh, Ziegs is one of my favorite South Africans out there. Uh, you are South African, right, Ziegs? Well, uh, that's where I had my formative years, yes. There you go. There you go. We saw VAR at the World Cup. We've touched upon it. There were a couple incidents this weekend which were a little bit um, dubious, uh, shall we say, especially Kennedy not getting sent off early. Uh, but um, can you just tell us quickly why there's no VAR in the Premier League and let's sort of like the thought process, like who actually made the decision? Was it was it the clubs? Was it was it Scudamore? And also, what are they actually doing to uh, to prepare for when VAR might come? Yeah, I think it's probably a combination of Scudamore and the clubs. Um, I think you know, Scudamore put, plants the ideas in, in, in chairman's heads and they sort of tend to go along with it. Um, I think he was a little bit... I think he was a bit frightened about it, actually, um, it hadn't, because at the time the decision was made in April, it hadn't um, been at the World Cup. It, there'd been a few issues when it'd been in the FA Cup, and there'd been lots of sort of VAR score headlines. So I think it, I think it was, it was it was more a question of fear rather than being sort of bold about let's embrace this. Actually, what could actually be a really good thing? Um, I think they, they were wanting to play it very, very cautiously. So, actually, they're the only major league in, in Europe which hasn't got VAR. So, so what are they doing about it now? So now there's a it's about sixty a, games this year, right? Say that again, sorry. It's about sixty games in, in league and, and uh, yeah, league FA cup and FA cup. Well, yes, I mean it's just, it can only be used as a Premier League ground, so it's sort of it basically depends if it's. If it's if it's not if a match a cup match isn't at a Premier League ground then it won't be used. Um, so that that's one thing which will determine the exact number of matches which is used in. Um, so what we're going to have in most Premier League weekends is you're going to have non-live trials going on, which which they have done um, to an extent already um, last season. But I think the idea is just about every single weekend now you will have the um, a, a VAR unit at a central location looking at all the matches um, and basically trying to do it as though it was actually happening, but the, the only difference is they're not actually in contact with the referees. So it's um, going to be a, a year-long thing to try and get everybody up to speed. Can I ask these, would they have the manpower? Would they've had the manpower to kind of bring it in this year? Well, they could have had the manpower, but I mean, it would because they've been able to bring it in everywhere else, and it's not as though we've got fewer referees in any other countries. Of course, they could have done. It's more about whether they had the appetite to do it. I think. Um, yes, you'd have to train people up to do it, but obviously, it has been done everywhere else, and it, you're never going to have more than probably. You know, I think these days, maximum seven games going on at one time. Mm. So. I think it's easily possible to do it in terms of manpower. Do you think post the World Cup, the Premier League's view has got more cautious, less cautious? Because, I mean, there were some strange decisions with the VAR at the World Cup, which... Like what? The final. Which one? The penalty. The penalty? Yeah. So, it's funny, because... You don't, you don't agree? No, 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 because that, this is actually one of the issues with VAR. But I'm glad you brought it up, because it gets me a chance to... I. I spoke to Pierluigi, I interviewed Pierluigi Colina for ESPN about this issue. And I kind of, because I'm familiar with VAR, I sort of speculated what happened with the penalty. 
Um, and again, for those who don't recall, ball comes into the box, and uh, it was uh, Ivan Perisic, I think. The, the, the ball comes off his hand, and uh, referee waves play on, and then it gets reviewed by VAR. And most people looked at this and said, well, that's obviously not a clear and obvious error. Why is it being reviewed? I mean, it was very, very touch and go. And then he goes and he looks at it twice and, and then he ends up giving the penalty. Now, what happened there, and Colina explained this, and I think to me this is something that they need to do to provide better communication going forward. Um, what happened on that occasion is it's not as if the referee, Nestor Pitana, saw the handball and let it run. And then the VAR said, oh, look, you made a clear and obvious error go look at it again. He didn't see it at all. He didn't realize that the ball had come off of Perisic. And an evidence of that is that he signals for a goal kick after that. In fact, they're ready to go and take the goal kick. He thought the ball had come off um, a, a, a France player on that occasion. So in those situations, if VAR says, well, wait a minute, if you didn't see the incident at all because it was off the ball or whatever, this is where we intervene and we give you a chance to look at the incident. Because you've missed it entirely. Uh, so it's not a question of interpretation. So he goes and he looks at it. And as you know, he goes and hems and haws. And then eventually he gives it. Now, personally, I would not have given it because it was it was close and whatever. But that was very much a refereeing decision. And I think that's something that if you think VAR, there was a problem with VAR at the World Cup. And that's one of them. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that nobody explained to you and many others sort of the, the, the process that, that was that was behind it. Interesting. I mean, Gabs, I, I, I spoke to David Ellery, who's the technical director of, of, of the International FA Board, who's sort of been behind the introduction of this into the game. Um, he said, basically, he thought the VAR was, was it had the perfect, uh, it was perfect at the World Cup, not because it was error-free or dispute-free. He thought it was perfect because it showed, actually, you, you got more decisions right, Um the referee still had an opinion, and there are going to still be disputes of opinion, and there were still one or two mistakes, um, but there weren't the sort of terrible howlers that have been seen in in, in other World right. Cups. Or the four minutes to take a decision, as we saw in the in that horrendous FA Cup game uh, uh, last year, where uh, yeah, it was Tottenham at Wembley. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was just horrible. No, I mean I think it's going to take time, obviously, and it's good that they're doing these trials. Um, I want to throw something else uh, in, in your wheelhouse, uh, Ziggs, because you and I, being old-timers, unlike Gary, um, we remember 10 years ago, the 39th game, and uh, it's funny because I was thinking back over Scudamore, I think I wrote this in a column too, like, there aren't very many things that, many mistakes that he's made uh, from the perspective of Premier League owners and the way they've been received, uh, but this is one of them. Maybe his biggest was when he he backed the idea of the 39th game. He obviously didn't do this on his own. And I remember at the time, in fact, I think David Gold was the only, um, I think he was the owner of Birmingham City at the time, who the only one who came out and spoke in favor of it. Everybody else kind of, uh, um, you know, kind of kept a very low profile given how absolutely unpopular it was. Now, La Liga have announced uh, that uh, they, they made a partnership with, with Relevant Sports who run the, uh, the ICC, the International Champions Cup. They're going to hold a series of matches uh, in the U.S. over the next, I think it's 15 years. Uh, the big rumor is that it's going to be in March in Miami, the first one, uh, Betis against uh, against Barcelona. Um, now, given that it's not a whole extra round, given that not everybody's going to be forced to go, given that 
Spain and, and England culturally when it comes to football, traveling fans and whatnot. It's a slightly different environment. Um, how do you see this? I mean, is this something the Premier League could revisit? But what do you think of the of the concept overall? Um, I don't think they can't revisit it. Well, Skidmore since then, that's it's still there. I mean, maybe when his successor takes over after Christmas, that might be the first thing on his uh, inbox to see whether it'll be worth doing or not. I mean, I, it's still not certain that La Liga thing can go ahead. I mean, it's uh, FIFA have to give it um, give permission. The CONCACAF Federation will have to give permission. U.S. Soccer, who may not look kindly on um, their their own competition, like the MLS being overshadowed, um, they may not they they may not give permission. So there's still some obstacles to overcome. I think it's I mean it, it's been heading that way for a bit, isn't it? I mean the, the Spanish Super Cup's played in Morocco, it, Italy's Super Cup's been played in the Middle East, so. Yeah, it, it, it's been heading that way. I mean, I think the um, the Premier League's trouble was was timing when they tried it. It was too much. It was talking about you know a huge round of extra games, and this came at a time when the Premier League was it, it just looked very very rich at the time, richer than any other league, which I know it still is. But it just looked very greedy. It was a land grab for more money. Um, and although um, actually hardly people sort of melt the support melted away, originally 19 out of the 20 clubs voted in favour of it. The only one that didn't was Liverpool. So I think the appetite is still there. If it, more money, the clubs will go for it. If you listen to Thursday's podcast, you would have heard uh, that this season, Natalie Sawyer and I uh, are going head-to-head predicting scorelines in featured games. Uh, This is going to go on all season long, and uh, uh, the winner will buy the other one lunch at some point, or perhaps dinner. And we'll invite our producer, Charlie, along too, and and of course, since listening to this, our bosses, David and Alex, uh, as well. How does it work? Well, we both predicted that Chelsea would be Arsenal. Easy one there. We both predicted that Juve would win their way to Kievo, although mm, nobody quite predicted the 3-2. Uh, we both thought that Barnsley would beat Wimbledon in League One, but that game finished goalless. And by the way, let me point out, she's supposed to be the uh, lower division expert. We both thought West Ham would beat Bournemouth, and uh, wow, <laughs> we were wrong. Sorry, Eddie. So it all came down to Cardiff and Newcastle. Natalie thought Newcastle would win 1-0. I predicted 0-0. And it all came down to that last-minute Kennedy penalty, which would determine who was right or wrong. Neil Etheridge, my main man, Pinoy Power with a save, meaning I am victorious in week one. Better luck next time, Natalie. All right, enough of all of that. How about some quick hits instead? Now, it takes Spurs a while, but they eventually upend Fulham as Kieran Trippier scores the beauty of the free kick. Weirdly, no surprise. He wasn't surprised either. He started celebrating. I love that. He hit it so well that he's actually celebrating before the ball goes into the back of the net. Uh, well done, Kieran Trippier. And Harry Kane scores in August, which was a bit of a surprise to those who live in the uh, dark ages and are weirdly superstitious. Gary, what do you make of Spurs? Pretty impressive. Yeah, I think they've kind of left off where they where they were last season. I don't think it matters so much they didn't bring anyone in. I think the, that perhaps the only place they probably could have strengthened was bringing in a quick attacking player or a better holding midfield player. Um, but Mora seems to he's had six months under his belt now. He look he looks quite sharp on Saturday, um, and they look very impressive. And I was slightly surprised in the second half. Fulham got them a bit. 
Um, but yeah, impressive. Top top three. Just in time before those chimes. Nice one. Uh, Bournemouth are top of the table. Uh, they're one of many clubs, and it's only two games in. But Ziegs, they play good football, and he's emphasized the fact that you know he likes. He said players around. There's a strong unit. What does this mean for Eddie Howe? Yeah, I think we're we'll, we not off every year. <laughs> probably means that he's going to be at Bournemouth at the end of the season and next season as well in the Premier League. That's probably that's probably all it means. But um, right. unless uh, you know, it, it's that next that next club is a, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Doesn't, because you know, do you either go to a very big club, you know, people who made made him the next Arsenal manager, um, or do you, does he like try and take another a smaller step up? It's a, it's an interesting one. I think he'll still be there next season. Thank you for saying that, um, Ziegler, at the end, that, uh, you know, he'll probably still be there next season because otherwise uh, I would have had to apologize to Bournemouth fans for the fact that whenever your club comes up and your manager comes up, it's all about linking him to other uh, other teams. Now, Manchester City stomp all over Huddersfield 6-1 as Pepper Verts for back three, and we get to see Gabriel Jesus and Sergio Aguero um, as a front two. Gary, do you like this? Is this just a one-off formation or something we might see more regularly? Perhaps he's going to use against some of the smaller teams. Change it up, change it a little bit, give him a bit more flexibility. Use it against other. Uh, you know, Spurs went to a three at the back on Saturday. But Had no Sane, no Sterling. But you know, sometimes you need to kind of have something a little bit different. Spurs went three five two Saturday. I think sometimes you do need to. Sometimes I, I kind of feel the one the one striker up front is a bit limited and it's a bit predictable. And it's nice to have something a little bit different. Funny how Gary seems to relate everything uh, back to Spurs, but um, <laughs> but uh, to be fair, if you're going to play somebody who's going to sit and uh, park the bus, um, then there's not much space for your flying wingers to run into anyway. Uh, Martin uh, Watford are also top of the table again, two wins from two, uh, and guess what? They also play a front two, Gray and Dini. Now that people were so down on them, they saw Richarlison. People don't like the fact that oh look, you know their owners also control another football club. Um, and all the guys on loan and whatever. But guess what? And I am being a little bit provocative here. You know, they make people make such a big deal out of the, the importance of an English spine. Well, Bournemouth have one. And uh, Watford, I know Cathcart's not in English. He's from Northern Ireland, but he's still, he's still British. Foster and uh, Will Hughes and Gray and Deeney. Is that the secret to Javi Gracia's success? I think it definitely helps having an English spine in the Premier League um, because it, that the more use of that sort of style of football maybe um, yeah four goal scorers are at Burnley all English three of them from Watford um, yeah I think I definitely think it helps a red miss for Jamie Vardy who's uh, sent off in Leicester's win over Wolves um, Gary been a while since we mm. we saw this from him what's up but you, you need that from him don't you he's that type of player he plays on the edge so you, you can't get the goals without the without the old tackle and every now and again. That's him. Well, gonna, to go and like, get himself sent no, off and go violently assault no. another player? If, I mean, if, you, if, a, you, if you take his edge out, you also take another part of his game out. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't like that argument. I, I, think, I think the interesting more thing about this, this game is the fact that Piol has actually kind of gone full circle. Three months ago, you might have said he might not be there. The last two games he changed at Arsenal against, and, and Tottenham, he, he 
let the shackles off a bit and he kept his job and I think perhaps that's perhaps the more interesting thing for him is whether he's still going to whether he's turned them around and whether he's got the players back on side and they played very well against Manchester United as well in the opening week now Cardiff versus Newcastle was a horrendous game um, even though it enabled me to eventually beat Natalie in the predictions game so I'm very grateful and I love me some Neil Etheridge so there were some shocking decisions and especially the failure to send off Kennedy. Now, you look at the pictures, the, the referee, Craig Pawson, who, I don't know, I, maybe it's just my impression, but I feel like he's more howlers than, than most other top referees. We look at the pictures, he's looking the wrong way. Fine, not his fault. But he also has two assistant referees who presumably are watching the game. He also has a fourth official who presumably is watching the game. How did everybody miss what Kennedy did? Um, and, and Martin... Does this merit um, retrospective punishment? I don't think it, no. No, I don't think so. Um, because it, I, there are too many officials there. You got, I don't think you can do the for, for something like that. It's not It's not violent conduct, is it? I mean, it's a horrible, violent challenge, but it's not a sort of... Um, and he should have been sent off, of course. I think if he'd been VAR, he would definitely have been sent off. Um, but it's just one of those things, and it actually is an argument for getting VAR in sooner rather than, than later. Well, Harry Arder, by the way, should have also been uh, been sent off. But I hope that Mike Riley puts on his angry face, hauls not just Pawson, but the assistants and the fourth official, uh, in and says, guys, where were you looking? What were you doing? Why were why was no, why did every single one of you go and miss this? Because I, I thought it was awful. I thought it was violence. The game could have really gotten out of control. And um, I don't know. I, I, I'd have no problem if there was some uh, retrospective punishment going Kennedy's way. Gabs, one for you. Ronaldo made his Serie A debut away to Kiev on Saturday. No doubt it was a resounding win for Juventus and he scored a hat-trick. Right? Well, or Gary, wrong? if you'd read my column this morning, you would know that this was not the case. No, just kidding. Um, I write the questions, by the way, and I try to make the, the uh, person who asked him look silly. No, uh, it was a much tougher going uh, for Juve than they thought. They, they went ahead and they went 2-1 down and then in the end it took an uh, injury time win. Ronaldo did his part. I think there's big issues of chemistry. What I'm most interested in seeing, though, is I'm not sure that he can play as a center forward, which on paper sounds like a great idea. Play him up front on his own. You've got Douglas Costa on one side. The other side, uh, you know, you've got Cuadrado or, or, or whomever, and you've got Dybala behind. I don't think that's good, and it's not a coincidence that he looked uh, much better in the last half hour after Mandzukic came on, went back to stomping around on the left-hand side, and, uh, and did his part. But, uh, yeah, no question. More to come from uh, Cristiano. That's all we've got time for today. Many, many thanks to my excellent guests, Gary Jacob, Paul Hurst, and Martin Ziegler. If you miss Natalie, don't worry. Uh, she's going to be back. I promise you won't just have to endure me. Now, remember... You can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and also on your smartphone or tablet for only £8 for eight weeks. Search The Times subscription for more information. Uh, We're going to be back on Thursday looking ahead to another Premier League weekend, including the Manchester City machine making its way to Molyneux. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. 
Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times, and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history.